friends. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much once again for this wonderful privilege of gathering together as family in the unity of a faith that you've provided, Father, for each one of us as individuals, but as well as a corporate body meant to and designed to bring glory to you, Father, in time. Thank you for sanctifying us. Thank you for assuring us and reassuring us of our faith and that you're merciful, gracious, and loving. Father, thank you for your patience with us uh, each day. Your faithfulness is renewed each morning. For this we are so very grateful, Father. May we never become familiar with all the grace that you've given us on a day like today. Father, we pray for those that can't be with us this evening due to illness, and we pray most of all for those still lost. We are most grateful and thankful, of course, for your Son's work on the cross to our benefit. We didn't earn it or deserve it, but we are so very grateful for it, Father. We just ask for your blessings on this evening's message. May it be edifying for our souls. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Again, Undistracted Devotion to the Lord, Part 15. Uh, we're getting to the close, the close of this series, so as we, or as is the case with most end-of-series messages, tonight's got a lot of moving parts. I'm going to do the best I can for you as your teacher, um, but there's a lot of moving parts, and if you haven't been keeping up with the lessons, you may get a little bit lost, but uh, I guess that's an opportunity for you to go back and and uh, learn some things. So again, uh, there's a lot of moving parts. I hope I know it's a Thursday evening, but uh, you're going to need to concentrate. Um, Tuesday's message began with a question, the one that presumed a certain level of maturity exists in this church. And I like when he does that because it's, um, again, it, it presumes something. And on a Thursday evening, usually the people that are here during the week are of the more, and I'm not offending anybody that's online, but um, are typically of the more mature sort. Don't get all puffy. Everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's right, man. That's right. Thursday evening crowd. With <laughs> Anyways, Tuesday uh, presumed a certain level of maturity exists in this church. And for the most part, I do think uh, that we at North Christian Church are a reasonably mature group. Um, now, supposing the Spirit was speaking to this group from a mature position in Christ, we might ask, why is he giving us somewhat or a somewhat involved series on undistracted devotion to the Lord? Why would he take this group to that question? What's the reason? What's the purpose behind it? Why is he giving us this somewhat involved series on undistracted devotion to the Lord? The answer was addressed at the start of Tuesday's message. <coughs> Excuse me. God is asking us to excel still more. That's why. Undistracted devotion to the Lord. Some of you might say, I do have a certain undistracted devotion, but you know what? It's not perfected yet. Um, God is asking us to excel still more. And that's a question that was on the table Compliments of the Spirit, Tuesday evening, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 10. So let's look at these passages in the Amplified up here on the board. Up on the board, I have 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 in the Amplified. It says, Finally, believers, we ask and admonish you in the Lord Jesus that you follow the instruction that you received from us about how you ought to walk and please God, just as you actually are doing. So he's not saying you're not doing this. There's nothing wrong with repeating oneself as a shepherd even, uh, sometimes for a little nudge as a reminder, sometimes as an affirmation of your own faith. Sometimes it's encouraging to hear, hey, I'm, I am doing this thing. This is in my life. This is happening in my life. And so that's sort of where Paul was at uh, in Thessalonica. So that you, about how you ought to walk and please God, just as you are actually doing, and that you excel even more and more. So let's not stop here, says Paul. And I'm, I'm echoing that sentiment as your shepherd. Let's not stop here. If we can agree that we're a reasonably mature congregation, we've been at this for a long time, you guys are all pretty much serious students of the Word of God, why would we stop there? 
Seriously, why would we ever stop there? And that's what Paul was saying, that you excel even more and more, pursuing a life of purpose and living in a way that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. What a wonderful expression, that you excel even more and more, pursuing a life of purpose and living in a way that expresses gratitude to God for your salvation. We also noted this same phrase uh, in verse 10. I'll give you the Amplified up here in the board. For indeed, you already do practice it toward all the believers throughout Macedonia. Again, he's complimenting this group. It's not as if you're not doing good things. You are doing things, but let's excel all the more. We don't, quote, rest on our laurels, so to speak. Again, for indeed, you already do practice it during all, uh, toward all the believers throughout Macedonia by actively displaying your love and concern for them. But we urge you, brothers and sisters, that you excel in this matter more and more. So we never just arrive. There's never going to come a time where you arrive and that's it. You finished the course. When Paul said, I finished the course, he was talking about the end of his life. He never arrived. He never proposed he arrived. He never proposed that he had perfected the spiritual life, so to speak, nor should we. And so we're always moving in a direction that was set at salvation. We call that movement, of course, sanctification, being set apart, going from point A to point B, however long your lifespan happens to be. And so we're always pushing the envelope, always more and more, and that's what Paul was saying. Again, we urge you, brothers and sisters, that you excel more and more. So, to address the fundamental question, why is he giving us a somewhat involved series on undistracted devotion to the Lord? The answer is simple. Again, it's this point from Tuesday evening. God is asking us to excel still more. And that should be something that is imparted to us our whole lives. That's how, that should be our attitude. We never rest. I don't, I don't know about you, but there is nothing worse. I'm not saying taking a vacation and that kind of thing, but there's nothing worse than getting stuck and getting stagnant. And uh, I don't know why this is coming to mind, but it's a, it's a, it's a worldly example. Uh, I had a doctor once that said um, if a patient, he would get a lot of, you know, people that got wounded, say, in a car accident or something like that, or had a, like a, a, a tough injury or something like that. He said, in his experience, if they were out of work for a year or more, they never went back. They got stuck. If, if they are out of work, for, he said the threshold, he says the weirdest thing. He says right about a year, he says if they don't go back to work before a year, they rarely go back. I said, really? And he's like, yep, because something happens. They get stuck. They stop knowing how to work or something. Well, the analog in the spiritual life is don't get stuck. I mean, we all have our moments, but if you get stuck, all of a sudden you don't move. Don't let that happen. And that's what I think the Spirit's saying to us is don't get stuck. Don't think for one moment that you don't have a purpose. In, in my head, that's, the, that's like a nightmare to wake up in the morning and say, I have, I have no purpose. That's horrible. So, again, God is asking us to excel still more. In other words, positional sanctification, which is what happens at salvation proper, is hardly the end goal of sanctification itself. Sanctification, as we know, if we carve it up this way, as most theologians do, they use different language, but it doesn't matter, Sanctification usually has three basic aspects to it, positional, experiential, and ultimate. But up here on the board, even if we consider sanctification in three discrete parts, the truth is that from God's perspective, it's a single plan. God's not bound by time. He gives us these constructs. Uh, if, you, if you read the Bible, you never see positional, experiential, and ultimate sanctification called out. Those are theological constructs that we use so that we can communicate effectively. That's the end of it. That's why I don't let any more, no more of getting hung up on doctrines and man-made terms and all that kind of stuff because it just creates uh, problems. 
from God's perspective, where time is not the issue, it's a single plan. We fell in the garden. He says, I've got a way to save you, and I'm going to save you, and I'm going to sanctify you. Ultimately, from our perspective, it's a timeline, but from God's perspective, He already predestined us, therefore He already saved us, therefore we're already destined for heaven. That's all set in stone. Before you were even born, He knew you were elect. So from God's perspective, it's a single plan. And when we elevate our thinking that way, we're no longer hung up on, well, positional and experience. No. No, this is about a salvation or sanctification plan. So again, even if we consider sanctification three discrete parts, discrete parts, the truth is that from God's perspective, it's a single plan. That's a good-sized portion of what the Spirit's been teaching us for years now. And it started, frankly, with the Gospel Reload series about three years ago. Viewing sanctification and salvation differently. Viewing it from God's perspective. With all the doctrines and the nuances. Just, what is God trying to do? Well, we fell, He solved the problem, and He gives us a choice to be saved. So from His perspective, it's one big plan. It's one ball of wax. If you recall, that series was designed to get us thinking about salvation and sanctification as one big unified plan. And it got us to realize that salvation and therefore sanctification is a daily process for us even, not a one-time event that we point back to. See, when... Well, let me just keep going with this up here on the board. Remember this. We are saved daily. God's ultimate goal is to save us, to sanctify us to keep us saved, to keep us sanctified. We are saved daily. From what exactly? The schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. If God's plan is to take you home, to be at home with Him for all of eternity in heaven, He can't lose you, in other words. He's not going to lose you. <laughs> he saved you. That's the end goal. So we are saved daily. From what exactly? From the schemes of the devil, Romans 1, 16-17, Ephesians 6, 11, Luke 22, 31-32, John 18, 9, Part B. Go to our old friend, Romans 1, 16. Romans 1, 16. So we have to think big picture now, unified plan, that God saves us, sanctifies us from His perspective. That's one big plan. And so within the Within the umbrella, under the umbrella of that plan, he has to actively keep us saved, so to speak. Keep our faith strong. Never allow temptation to take us out of faith. Worst case scenario would be out of saving faith even. And as we discussed, we don't have the time this evening, but as we discussed a um, year, year and a half ago, that's an activity that is carried on daily. He saves us daily. People don't like to think about that. They like to think of it as one discrete thing because that's how the human mind thinks. But that's not the reality, and we'll get to that in a moment. Let's start here. Romans 1.16 For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's our starting point. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. That means there's a movement. It's from faith to faith. Faith upon faith, if you would. As it, was, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Shall live by faith. And so there's activity there. Living is activity. From faith to faith implies movement, implies sanctification. Paul puts our faith on the line as a function of being saved in the first place. He puts our faith on the line as a function of being saved. Well, the truth is that our faith is tested each and every day. Fair enough? Our faith is tested each and every day. And in every case for a believer, God gives us a way out, a way of escape. Up here on the board. Second Peter, supposed to be Peter, P-E. Second Peter 2, verse 9. Then the Lord knows how to res rescue the godly from temptation. 
The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. Again, this is what true sanctification looks like. It's a daily effort made by the one who saved us in the first place. It's a daily effort made by the one who saved us in the first place. Satan doesn't want us to understand these things. Again, up here on the board, we are saved daily. I think that's easy to forget. I think human nature, based on our, the context of time itself, oh, I was saved when I was 14. I was saved when I was 20. And that's it. That's all it is. That there's no, let's call it, potentiality of falling away. That our faith is so strong that we'd never fall away. Or does the Bible say that God ensures our faith is sufficient? That God never tests us beyond the boundary of even saving faith? I don't think people think like that. I think people think that, well, here I'm saved, and that is the actuality of it. But what they don't realize is that the actuality of it is based on the fact that God never allows our faith to fail. And there's an activity there, in other words. In other words, you get saved proper here, but the potentiality is always there, even though He never lets you fall. Some people are like, that's like a brain teaser. And it kind of is. But nonetheless, it's true, and we studied it out in much greater detail about a year and a half ago. Nonetheless, we are saved daily, again, from what exactly the schemes of the devil. Let's dig our heels in a little bit more. Go to Ephesians 6.10. Ephesians 6, verse 10. And this is, why is he bringing this up? Because this is why you should be so grateful for being saved. Because from God's perspective, he's like, I'm still saving you. You You understand? I'm holding you. You know, Jesus Christ said, I lost not one. Why would that even be a problem? What do you mean you lost not one? Yeah, I lost not one. Why would that ever be a problem if there wasn't the potential to lose it? Why would he make that statement if there wasn't a potentiality of loss? See, people don't think like that. Ephesians 6.10 Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against what? The schemes of the devil. Put on the full armor of God, so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Up here on the board, the schemes of the devil. I'm borrowing from McDonald here. The devil has various stratagems. Discouragement, frustration, confusion, moral failure, and doctrinal error. He knows our weakest point and aims for it. If he cannot disable us by one method, he will try for another. What's our protection? Faith. Who gives us faith? God does. Again, the devil has various stratagems, discouragement, frustration, confusion, moral failure, and doctrinal error. He knows our weakest point and he aims for it. If he cannot disable us by one method, he will try for another. He's not like one of those, you know, like when kids get in little, you know, schoolyard brawls. Hey, hey, you can't do that. That's not fair. (laughs) Yeah? He doesn't have any problems with breaching so-called fairness. He'll guide your eye out, bite you, kick you in your privates. That's not fair. Maybe in a schoolyard, but to Satan, you don't care. He's going to take you out, whatever it takes to take you out. The abundance of the devil's schemes provides endless temptation for all of us. But here's the good news. We have an intercessor in heaven. Go to Luke 22.31. Luke 22.31. Luke 22:31. Now there was a lot at stake here. Again, if you're interested, I can give you the date 
and the title of the lessons, uh, if you're interested in listening to this stuff, this is all review, by the way, from a year and a half ago. Luke 22:30. If you're interested, I'll give you the date of those lessons. Luke 22:31. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. There's a lot going on there. I have prayed, Jesus said this, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. First of all, why would he have to do that if the potentiality didn't exist of failure? And you, once you have turned again, there was confidence in that statement, you will turn again. Because you know why? A real believer, a true believer, never turns their back on Christ. Not for good. That's apostasy. That's impossible for a true believer. We've learned this. Up here on the board, we have an intercessor. That your faith may not fail. The emphasis should not be placed on the potentiality of failure, but rather the effectiveness of the Lord's prayer. But I have prayed for you. Yeah, the potentiality is there, but look who's praying for us. Look who's assuring. Peter's imperfect faith did fail at times, but it was never fully eclipsed. He always turned again. Why? Are you going to claim that your faith is so magnificent that it could never fail? Or do you need help? Aren't you happy that you have an intercessor? How about the fact that you have God the Holy Spirit who intercedes for you as well because you don't even know how to pray properly. You ask for all the wrong things sometimes. Sometimes we get it right, but a lot of times we don't. And God, the Holy Spirit's like, this, this is what he really means. Right? <laughs> this is what she meant to say. <laughs> Reminds me of me at old sales meetings sometimes. Anyways. This is what he really meant to say. Only, only salesperson knows what I'm talking about. Nonetheless, Peter's imperfect faith did fail at times, but it was never fully eclipsed. He always turned again. Why? Jesus Christ prayed. He interceded. He ensures, even right now, that your faith, especially your saving faith, never fails. Hmm. The reason for that little trip down memory lane from a year ago was to remind you that our Lord is active in our faith. Our Lord is active in our faith. Are you, that right there should give you so much gratitude. Because let's face it, what's the scariest thing you could possibly ever dream of? It's never going to happen. But the scariest thing you could possibly ever dream of right now is losing your salvation. Right? Imagine having that ripped away from you. Well, we have assurance from our Lord. He even prays for us. He even intercedes for us. He upholds our own faith. We're saved daily. We have help. We have uh, intercession. Thank God. Thank God. Because you know what I had before I met and believed in Jesus? I had faith. And you know what it did every day? It failed. Because my faith alone on its own merits sucks. Excuse my French. Never will hold up under pressure. It won't for a little while. But on... The terms that need to be met for salvation proper? No. You bet I need God. I think that's something we have to remember every so often because when we remember that we're saved daily, our gratitude goes up. There's not some ancient artifact from our history, right? Oh, I was 14, I'm 49 now. I don't know what the math is, 35? 35 years ago. 35 years ago I was saved. It's like ancient news. What have you done for me lately, right? 35 years ago I was saved. That's how some so-called Christians treat Jesus Christ. I'm good. I was saved when I was a kid. I'm just going to go live like hell now. See you in heaven. Wrong. Wrong. The evidence of your not being saved is the fact that you just apostatized. You're gone. Poof. I know, right? Interesting. 
how this all pans out. That your faith may not fail. Those are Jesus' words. The reason, again, for our little trip down memory lane is to remind us that our Lord is active in our faith and that real potentiality exists, though God's faithfulness has us covered. Knowing that should amplify our gratitude. It's not ancient history. It's today. It's right now. It's every day until the day we die. And I don't know about you, but I'm real grateful for that. Again, we are saved daily. From what exactly? For example, the schemes of the devil. As we've studied in the past, the truth is that the potential of failure is always there. However, under the Lord's watchful eye, our faith is never stressed to the point of complete failure in terms of salvation proper. What we have at the most is a failure of our faith experientially in such a way that we fail a test. We fail all the time. However, Jesus made this statement. In other words, there's a finite limit. We're never going to be lost. John 18, 9, part B, of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Again, what's the implication? One could be lost. Who doesn't want to lose any of his sheep? Jesus Christ. So who do we have interceding for us every single day? Jesus Christ. Whose spirit intercedes for our prayer? Jesus Christ's spirit, the spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit. Up here on the board, we must observe always throughout Scripture that Jesus had and still has a very active role in our salvation, not just in his gospel call, but also in our being saved daily. He's active in our lives. Very active in our lives. Some of you are like, no kidding, I, I'm with him all day long. I hold his hand all day long. I talk to him all day long. And that's exactly what he wants. Some of you are like, eh, I go to church. I'm, I listen to his spirit, I guess, a little bit. Mm, take it or leave it. I guess he's there. We must observe always throughout Scripture that Jesus had and still has a very active role in our salvation, not just in his gospel call, but also in our being saved daily. From our lessons on this about a year or so ago, we are able to conclude that faith is an activity, not just a forensic fact. Let me say it again. Faith is an activity, not just a forensic fact. Faith is actively upheld, not just established once. Not, in other words, don't view it as some ancient artifact in your life. Because it's not. You're saved daily. And remember, God's plan of salvation, and when we talk about salvation from His perspective, it's everything. Faith is actively upheld, not just established once. Being given, saving, or delivering faith is more like a starting point than an end point, if that makes sense. Being given this faith, you know, from faith to faith, Romans 1.17, being given this faith is more like a starting point, not an end point. It's not like, I'm done. I got saved. See you in heaven. Until then, I'm out of here. No. Saving, delivering faith is more like a starting point not an end point. Being given faith is like walking through a doorway. And no matter what happens inside the sphere of salvation proper, nothing nor no one will ever be able to push you back out through the door by which you entered into the kingdom of God. Nothing. That's why Jesus said, I lost not one. Oh, they're banging around in there, tripping over each other, flopping around. But nobody's gone this way through the gate. You go in, that's it. Why? Because he's going to stand right there and say, that's not going to happen today. Not on my watch. I lost not one. Not one of my sheep is going back out. Not out that way that they came. 
Once we understand that this is God's perspective on salvation and deliverance, we are able to make sense of Holy Scripture that describes the big unified plan He has for us. In other words, sanctification becomes an activity. Faith is an active part of our life. Jesus Christ is an active member in saving us daily. He's no longer some almost strange artifact from 30, 40 years ago. Do you know what I'm saying? His cross isn't, you know, that wasn't the end of it. You know, I got saved, I got a tattoo on my arm, I'm good. It says the date that I even got saved right here under the cross, I'm good. That's the wrong way to think about it, because we're in a relationship. I, I suppose in the relationship, the, the marriage analogy, it'd be like getting married to someone 30 years ago and never talking to them again. Just saying, cool, I got my slip, see you later, I'll grab my, I'll grab my inheritance when you croak. You know what I'm saying? Who's gonna, we're in a relationship. You guys look kind of like... Is this making sense? All right. Once we understand that this is God's perspective on salvation and deliverance, we are able to make sense of Holy Scripture that describes the big unified plan He has for us. Okay, this takes us back to our primary course of study up here on the board. God is asking us to excel still more. Well, if you think that salvation is some ancient artifact, not for now, how incentive are you to excel all the more? You're not. But if you have increasing gratitude each and every day for the mere fact that He saved you yet another day, that you delivered it yet another day, that he made sure that he did not lose you personally. I don't know about you, but I want to excel still more. I want to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in everything. I want to do those things. Why? Because that's what's pleasing to God. Who saves me daily? Who I'm very grateful for. Amen? I don't know about you, but I'm really grateful. <laughs> it makes me feel helpless and hopeless when I realize that I have to be saved daily. That I don't rest on something that happened 30 years ago or something. Some ancient history, and that's, that's my thing. I got a contract. It's right here. It's right here. No, he's not doing that. He said, I love you. I betro- you're betrothed to me. I'm your husband. I'm not letting you go. You're in a relationship with me now. You, you chose this, right? I saved you. I purchased you with my own blood. I wanted you from eternity past. I, I chose I elected you. You were on my heart when I was hanging on the cross. Make any sense? Yeah, you know what? I, and I still love you. And I still save you daily. Why? Because I love you. <laughs> That's motivation. That's what real motivation looks like. So God is asking us to excel still more. In other words, in the context of our primary course of study, positional sanctification is hardly the end goal of sanctification itself. While sanctification has three basic aspects to it, the following is true. Again, even if we consider sanctification in three discrete parts, the truth is that, from God's perspective, it's a single plan. So the point is that God is encouraging us to continue on in the faith and pursue excellence in time. Excel all the more. That's the root word of excellence, right? Excel all the more, more and more. Pursue excellence. Some of you are like, I'm good with mediocrity. No, pursue excellence. Isn't he not worth that? Look at all the work we did on his good name. How about your good name? Isn't he worth it? Is, do you want the Lord's good name to be mediocre? Or do you want it to be excellent? Is it mediocre in your life? Or is it excellent in your life? So God's encouraging us to continue on in the faith and pursue excellence in time. The starting point for this, of course, is the one I just alluded to, salvation proper. 
But since salvation and sanctification aren't merely single historical events in our lives, we must remain an active part of God's plan. You're involved in this. We're, as the Bible says, we're joint laborers with God. Right? We're joint laborers, and so we have to remain an active part. If he's active, we're active. And here's the kicker. As we've been learning, all of this requires one key thing. It's not a big thing. It's, for some of you, it's an ugly thing, but it's not a big thing. It's obedience. What is, your, what is your choice every day? You get up out of bed. You have a bunch of known commandments. What do you have then? What's your choice in humility? Obey them. Obedience. Mm-hmm. That's your active part. Obey the Lord. Obey His commandments. What's the problem? What the Spirit's been teaching us is that the love that Jesus spoke about abiding in has real fruit. Obedience. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you keep my commandments, proof that you love me. Who said that? Not Pastor Ed. Jesus said that. (laughs) These things go together, right? Love and obedience, that's the thing. I didn't say that. That's what the Holy Bible says. So it's, you know, there's no way to kind of like do the, you know, MC Hammer. What's the Spirit's been teaching us? That Jesus spoke about abiding in love and that it has real fruit, which is obedience. And without the fruit, we must question the love we have. If you're a disobedient brat, What about the love then? Do you love him? Or do you love yourself or someone else even, usually it's ourselves, more than him? Because you shall know them by their fruit, right? That's a basic tenet. Why the disobedience? Who do you love more? What happened to your first love? Who do you love more than Jesus Christ? Usually it's you, and it's your own causes. I love me. I want, so I take. I want, Jesus wants something different, Mm, I get what I want. But we call that disobedience. Yeah, it's because I love myself more than I love Jesus. So I consistently choose me over him in certain situations. I mean, you're going to be haunted by your conscience as a believer, doesn't mean you can't do that thing though right and and god the holy spirit's doing it right now to some of you he's haunting you actively through this vessel because that's how he works he's like i'm not going to leave you alone because i'm not mocked i'm never mocked so you keep choosing you over me you're going to get haunted some of you are like yeah and that bald head is hauntingly something I'm just a vessel. So without the fruit of obedience, we must question the love we have. According to Holy Scripture, though, there are degrees of said love, which is why some of you are very obedient, while others aren't. Some of you are very obedient, while others aren't. You see, love for the Lord is in stiff competition with love for self. It's usually what it boils down to. Love for the Lord is in stiff competition with love for self. Theologically, I just described the love of the new self competing with the love of the flesh. There's this thing. And since we have both influences to deal with, the Spirit inspired the likes of Romans 7 for our edification and even our encouragement. Romans 7 being, I don't do the things I want to do, I do the things I don't want. So why all of this? All of this kind of thinking gets us into why. More specifically, why might we have undistracted devotion to the Lord? Why? 
We learned what, now we've been on the why. Why? Why would I have undistracted devotion to the Lord? Furthermore, why are there degrees of devotion? Even among members of the same church, like North Christian Church, it, it, only God could make this assessment, but everybody here has at a different degree of obedience. Why? Because everyone here has a different level of love for the Lord. The ones who love more are more obedient. Obedience leads to peace, and peace leads to joy, etc., etc., right? Obedience is another word for righteousness. I just wrote a blog on this. It's going to come out this week. Righteousness, peace, and joy, they're like a, a, like a triad, if you would. Why are there degrees of devotion even among members of the same church, like North Christian Church? The answer, devotion is a function of love. Don't believe me? Ask yourselves the following. Why are some people, and this is just an example, by the way, it's just to drive the point home. Why are some people so devoted to their children's welfare? You know them. There's some people, they're just totally devoted <clears throat> to their children's welfare. Why? Because they love them. Duh, right? They're devoted to their children because they love them. They, they want their children to be, to be safe, well-fed, and most important, more important than anything, train them up in the faith. That is your number one priority, by the way, as a parent, as a believer. Train them up in the faith. Not feed them. Not take them out to McDonald's when they whine and moan. Not, them buy, not buy them Nintendo games. Not, you know, pat them on the back when they throw a football or run a race or... Or, or swim a swim, I don't know, whatever it is, you you know, get good grades. And none of that even matters. The hell good is that if they don't have faith? Nothing matters. You think any of that matters when they're rotting in hell? I don't think so. Bring them up in the faith. Give them a shot at happiness in life with real peace and joy. That's what matters. Anyways, I digress. And I'm not saying like I was a perfect parent, by the way. I mean, like, oh, who are you? I'm not saying that. I've made my screw-ups, right? Sean, don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, though. <coughs> Why are some people so devoted to their children's welfare? Because they love them, obviously. And yet, some parents are horrendous. Horrendous. Bad people, even. Barely devoting the bare minimals to their kids. Why is that? Because those parents are self-centered and self-absorbed. Because they love themselves more than they love their kids. That's the choice. When you have kids, to hell with yourself. It's about them now. Until they're up and out, it's about them. If you're not ready to make that sacrifice, then don't have kids. And if it's too late, I don't know, change your ways, I don't know. But why would they do that? Because they're self-absorbed and self-centered devoted to their own purposes rather than taking on the responsibility of their own offspring. This is what I see happening with women nowadays. Boy, women start throwing tomatoes. It happened with men years ago. So I'm not picking on women, okay? But this is something new in my own lifetime. They have been duped by the feminists into thinking that if they don't measure up to all the abilities and accomplishments of men, let's say, they're failures. However, in the meantime, they are shipping their children off every chance they get so that someone else can raise them. In the case of believers, this is a tremendous tragedy. Not kind of tragedy, a tragedy of the worst kind. For oftentimes these poor kids aren't getting any biblical perspective instilled in them. Now I'm going to say something very unpopular, but it's nonetheless true. Um, and you can, if you, you know, if you don't like it, I guess you can do this as the Bereans do and look it up. Women are designed by God to nurture children in ways that men are. 
I didn't make the rules. It doesn't mean a man can't fill the need for a while. You know, hey, honey, I got to go do this thing. Can you take care of the baby? Here we go. <laughs> First thing, the, you know, the wife leaves. It's like, <laughs> explosion in the diaper. Uh-oh. Coming out everywhere. It's coming up the back. It's like, is that even possible? How much you got in you? You're only this big and this much came out. Anyways. So it doesn't mean that a man can't fill a need for a while. But not to be crass, honestly, I'm just being medically, we don't have nipples that produce milk. Just saying. Why? Because God created women with the ability to breastfeed, not men. And ask yourself, why would he do that? Why would he make one gender able to do that and not the other? Ah, uh, geez, I don't know. Isn't it obvious? It's not that a woman or a man can't feed a baby a bottle. That's not the point at all. That's the point the feminists will make, but that's not the point. Nor the proper argument on the table. The point is that God created women to feed babies and nurture them, etc. All before there were breast pumps and baby formula. The dogmatic fact is that God created women to nurture children a certain way that men just cannot. And before there was all the technology and the breastbone and the formula and all that stuff, that's the way he meant it to be. And God's ideas about distinctions between men and women has never changed. So, when we talk about devotion being a function of love, we notice that women have more love for themselves nowadays than ever before at the expense of their children. At the expense of their children. I don't want to get sidetracked, so what's the point I'm trying to make here? It's simple. God is sanctifying us, presenting us with marching orders. Up here on the board. Romans six nineteen part B. So now present. Remember that Greek word peristemi? We studied this probably eight years ago. Receive marching orders. Now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. In other words, be obedient. Remember, peristemi carries with it a military connotation. Obedience is in view. How do you think military is so effective? The most effective militaries in, in the history of mankind have been the most disciplined. The, the most obedient soldiers. Pure discipline. Do you understand? The last thing you want to have somebody say, well, let me look at these marching orders. Yeah, there's no time for that. You're a soldier. Take your marching orders. Take the hill. Wait a minute. My feminist friend says, I've got to look this over. My anti-authority-oriented friends say, I've got to look this over. There's no time for that. We're all dead. Thank you very much, moron. This is about obedience. This is about soldiering for Christ. And by the way, resulting in what? Sanctification. Obedience results in what? Sanctification. Pick up your marching orders, shut your mouth, obey them, and you get sanctified. Any questions? I should have been a drill sergeant. Right? I should get my thing, man. They go right in your head and I spit on you. Because that's what they do. They're like this close. They're just tapping your head. Right? And they're calling you all kinds of ridiculous names. You can't, you can't laugh because some of the most funniest people on the planet. Now, you just laugh at me. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. <laughs> Anyways. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Do you get it? Let me, let me back up in case you missed it. Present yourself. Take your marching orders, shut your mouth, obey, march, and be sanctified. Obedience, sanctification. For this is the will of God. Guess what? Your sanctification. doesn't take a rocket science. That's why he tells you, here's my commandments, obey them. Why would I do that? Because you're supposed to love me. You love me, right? Well, I kind of love myself a little bit more still. 
So I hope you're able to see the big picture. Like I said, it's tough. Teaching this stuff is tough because there's a lot of moving parts. But I hope you see the big picture. God is saying that his desire doesn't just end with salvation proper, that sanctification includes faith and love being poured out, grace upon grace, throughout the course of our lives. Throughout the course of our lives. I was reflecting on this this morning. This is what gets me, and I'm just talking about me. I'm hoping it's the same for you. This is what gets me personally out of bed every morning. It's just knowing that today is yet another day that God has kept me alive to His glory. What a way to exit bed, right? Get out of bed, swing your feet over, and trust me, it gets, I'm sore half the time. Swing your feet over and say, I'm still alive. I must have a purpose. This is really exciting news. I woke up. So that's very exciting, at least to me, because without this knowledge, I'd be wondering why I'm even here on earth. And if I have a purpose. I mean, without purpose, what's a man supposed to devote himself to? Seriously, what are you devoted to if you don't have a purpose? But you see, I don't have that problem, nor should any of you. I have a hope, and so should all of you. God loves me. Jesus loves me. This I know. Sounds like the song, huh? And because of that, as Holy Scripture states, 1 John 4.19, we love Him because He first loved us. I love God. Better yet, as we've been studying as of late, I have been invited into the sphere of love that has existed in heaven since before time even began. Again, my hope is great. Romans 5.5, 5, And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now with that on the table, it's easy to see why the Spirit's given us the following principle to ponder. We haven't moved beyond this, by the way. All I've been doing is padding this one point. God is asking us to excel still more. What does that mean in your life? Uh, if, if I was a... Well, I'll, I'll leave it out on the table. You, you answer that for yourself. I'm going to tell you in about one minute. What does that require, in other words? Well, let's just cover this ground again. Even if we consider sanctification in three discrete parts... The truth is that from God's perspective, it's a single plan. That gives us that big overarching perspective that results in gratitude in taking on an active part in God's plan. But there's that requirement, which is this. Has this word, is it just me or has this word come out a lot lately? For like a year? Seriously, for like a year? Obedience, 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 obedience. You have to answer that for yourself. What, what's the problem in my life? Some of you are struggling right now. Some of you are emotional train wrecks right now. What is the problem? That's it. Literally, that's it. Somewhere in your life, somehow you're not obeying. You're picking and choosing commands that you like versus the ones you don't like. You're saying, that doesn't really apply to me. It does. It applies to all of us. You don't get to just pick and choose. You can't put one person or two people above the Lord. Nobody is above the Lord. Nobody's supposed to be above the Lord in your life. And when you choose someone, you're disobeying Direct commands. No one's supposed to be above the Lord in your life. Obedience. And I've just got a few minutes. So I'll just cover some ground from this past week. What about this? Is my life consistent with God's? I know that if I obey His commands, 
I'm oriented with Him, so it's consistent with God's love, right? God so loved the world. God became a man. God carried a cross for the joy set before Him. The God-man carried a cross, took on the shame, laid down His life for others. Why? Love. Is my life like that? Or do I still choose me over everyone else, including the Lord? My soul wrapped up in my life that I've lost my first love. Am I willing to lay down my life for others? Not because I am emotionally attached to them. But that's Romans 5, by the way. For a righteous man, someone might do it. But what about for your enemy? Would you? Again, not because I am emotionally attached to them, but rather for our Father's sake in heaven, the way Christ did. Is my heart right before God? Is it? How is it right now at the end of this message we're about to close? How is it right now? Are you in what I would call the sphere of love up here on the board? Is your heart good up here on the board? Anyone abiding in the sphere of love wants to do what love desires. In the case of children of God, it is to obey their Father in heaven. Do you want to obey your Father in heaven? And honest to goodness, I swear to you, you can come to me anytime you want. If you have questions about something, ask me. I, I will help you. I'll take you to Scripture if I know it offhand, and I'll help you. You know how many takers I'm going to get? This many. This many, because you already know the answers. You'll never come to a guy like me because you already know the answer. You'll only come to me when you want to try to loop, find a loophole. People don't come to me for honest answers. They come to me when they have a when when they're trying to get when they're trying to do the MC Hammer, trying to slip out of something. Hey, hey, pal, I was just wondering, you know, just throwing out there. Me and my friends are having a couple of discussions here. You know, can I do this? Is God going to be like, you know, is this like a breach? You already know the answer. People don't ever come to me when they have when they already know the truth. They, they you know, what I'm getting at. They don't want to hear the truth. Anyone abiding in the sphere of love wants to do what love desires. In the case of children of God, it is to obey their Father in heaven. Up here on the board, this will be the last thing, I think. True believers will habitually do certain things, as the Bible teaches very clearly. There's a whole practical side to sanctification, starting with the cause-effect relationship between obedience and blessings. Again, true believers will habitually do certain things, as the Bible teaches very clearly. There's a whole practical side to sanctification, starting with this cause-effect relationship between obedience and blessings. If you haven't figured it out, folks, this is about understanding that obedience, based on humility, is the pathway to blessings. You want peace and joy in your life? I mean, who doesn't want that? Happiness, contentment, all those kinds of good things? Obey. Pick up your march in order to shut up. Stop doing as the world and the kingdom of darkness tells you to do. Question authority. If you have a, honest to God, if you don't believe what I'm saying, you ready for this one? Pick up the authoritative book. But don't be lazy. Don't just say, I disagree with you, bald man. I disagree with you. Great, then do your work. Then open up the Bible and maybe you can teach me something. I'm humble. I say that, and it's going, it's like, because 99.9% .9 of the time, nobody does this. Nobody ever picks up their Bible. They have a problem. Like, eh, I just don't believe them. I'm going to keep going on my own way. Eh. Right? It's true. Some of you are like, it's true. <laughs> it's true. Because people, <laughs> people generally don't want to obey. But that's between you and the Lord, and we are out of time. Amen? All right, let's, well, amen, we're out of time? Huh? Or what? Which one is the amen for? You got kind of like real, real, like, woo, amen. Yeah, I'm with you. Let's bow our heads, you sinners. <laughs> Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege and the honor of studying your word here this evening. Thank you for always 
keeping us on the straight and narrow and never allowing us to evade or dodge the truth in our lives, but rather take it the way it was meant to set us free. Father, we pray these things as we take these things out to a lost and dying world. Father, it needs it so desperately. We ask this in Jesus Christ's precious name. By the power of the Spirit, we do pray. Amen. Thank you.